Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I've been to another universe and back. You'd think I'd come all this way without a plan? Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 513, What's Past is Prologue, comes to you now via Super Mycelial Reactor. And just a bit of fleet news before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, Star Trek asks us to imagine a future where uh, where, where there is adherence to, to science, maybe moving away from some of the, uh, the more contentious portions of religion. Do we have an analytical, non-religious event in our horizon? We do. Uh, because of next Sunday's Super Bowl... The plan right now is that Fantastic Geek will not be podcasting Star Trek Discovery next Sunday night unless that that changes. Indeed, unless the powers that be maybe want to give us Star Trek a little early next Sunday. I, I will admit, Pete, for the average Star Trek fan, the sports ball might not be high on their list, but it is the Super Bowl. So fingers crossed for the powers that be. And Pete... Speaking of the powers that be, we were tickled pink yet again to have gotten a Twitter response from co-producer and tonight's episode writer, Ted Sullivan. Uh, he was doing a little impromptu Q&A before heading out to uh, to our neck of the woods to go on After Trek. And uh, out of the blue, you know, he's a Beatles guy. He mentions that on his uh, on his Twitter profile. So I said, what's a better, what? which is the best Beatles album, Rubber Soul or Revolver? He uh, responded with the affirmative towards Revolver, which is my personal agreement to Pete. And in fact, he's a George Harrison fan. So uh, good news all around there for the Fab Four. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of four, Matt, I just wanted to chime in. So if you haven't caught on to this by now, Matt and I sit on CBS All Access <laughs> beginning at like 745-ish. Uh, Eastern time every uh, Sunday night and refresh the page. Matt's been doing it a little bit differently the past couple weeks, but 8.04 to go back to the four tonight, 8.04 Eastern time is when it came across on the desktop site for me. Matt, you're checking it out via Amazon. Yeah, uh, a, a Google, pardon me, not Google, sacrilege, Google. an Amazon Fire Stick. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe they just, and you know, if, uh, Ted's listening, you know, put a bug in somebody's ear. I mean, we'll, we'll talk CBS's PR problem a little later in this episode. I think that's something that begs to be addressed. And we had tweeted something out about that. Um, cause they do have a problem with as fantastic a show as they have. And that's not just a, a tip to your podcast hosts here. Uh, but the product is is superior and uh, being behind a paywall behind uh, a, a network that's really not doing a great job of getting the word out hurts. That's for later, Pete. For now, on to our mission briefing. Right from the title card, Matt, into the episode, this obviously being one of great import, we have Lorca via a voiceover here as they're freeing his loyalists explaining it was one year 
212 days of torture. But his friends, his followers, today he has returned to reclaim their empire. And we get to see a familiar face in Commander Commander Landry there, uh, Rika Sharma, let loose from the extra agonizers in the uh, the shuttle bay, and uh, she's surprised to see him. Kudos to whatever uh, perhaps lowly production person said, "Hey, this agonizer that gets the the, the close up deal with the return of Landry here." It needs to be filthy on the inside, like people have been really just sweating and crying and screaming and and et cetera in there. Uh, I, I don't mean to take away from from Rika Sharma and her performance and her her prowess on screen. We'll get to that in a moment, but it, it just caught my eye how awful and dirty that agonizer booth looked, and that's the attention to detail that's going into this show. Uh, as you said, Pete, of course we get Landry back. That was kind of spoiled for me by I think the official something or other official Twitter, something like that, but it's all good. It makes sense. And Landry notes that there were 10 sets of Imperial guards. How in the world did Lorca get here? Should we go elsewhere? Lorca says, no, we're right where uh, he wants to be. And Pete familiar to Rika Sharma there. And he's got a plan. Of course we head to uh, Stamets's lab where uh, great establishing shot, Matt, there's a long live the empire sign or decal above the door before we come down and see Lorca and Landry break in looking for the coward. I, I like too this notion that, uh, th- that Stamets loves his work, this Stamets and the other Stamets, uh, kind of Lorca thinking out loud, so it's odd that he left, kind of is the implied thought there. Uh, we see the wall flicker, Lorca sees the wall flicker, pulls the hiding Stamets out from behind it. Hello, Paul. Hello, Gabriel. I thought you were dead. Yeah, and he has to thank him here um, after... He sold him out. That is, Mirror Stamets sold Lorca out on the coup attempt. Uh, he went down to Pryor's world, Matt. We've got a original series name check there to recruit some allies. And then we get the flashback here. The Emperor caught up in the palace ship, the Charon, and uh, with the Baron, which has, we see uh, four nacelles, kind of look like an X-Wing in the back there. There was an ion storm simultaneously, and what do you know, it was a transporter malfunction that brought him over to the parallel universe. A, I love that they, in the episode, there's kind of this, gee whiz, who would have thunk it? Well, all of us would have thunk it because it was the first way the Mirror Universe was introduced back in the original series, but of course they don't know that, so there's kind of this circular thing of, it's a nod back to the first Mirror episode, but it's this weird thing that nobody's ever experienced before. It's just really kind of lovely in its symmetry there. Um, but the physics behind it, Pete, Lorca says that it's physics and therefore it was the hand of destiny. Lorca again really zeroing in on this idea of destiny. And uh, with all of this explained to Stamets, he's suddenly ready to help. Uh, and uh, some of that help involves a, a quick but rather dastardly shot of deadly gas being released on the deck of the, uh, the Karen, taking out a whole bunch of people. And it's later revealed in the uh, Emperor's throne room that these casualties aren't on just one hallway or on one deck. It's decks 1 through 17. 
Yeah, uh, this bio weapon that Lorca refers to that I thought early on in the episode might be a little bit bigger than it turned out to be. Um, true misdirect here, however. And uh, what's happening is that decks 1 to 17, this is actually going to reveal his location, uh, Georgiou notes. Um, and Burnham realizes that she is the bait. Though Burnham might be the bait, she wants to let the discovery uh, be warned that there's a fight ahead. She's being very, very... Um, honest and open with Emperor Georgiou here, but instead it gets her sent to the brig. Maybe not all the way to the brig, though, because uh, because she breaks free in what is a pretty darn good fight. I like how there's the, uh, the phaser shot into some grating, and she quick slides into the mm -hmm. grating, into the access corridors. Um, some of the fights prior to this episode have been good, but not amazing. Fight after fight after fight in this episode is really, really good. I don't know if that shows a maturation of the the stunt crew. I, mean, I, I imagine you're going to be hiring great stunt people, whether it's them all coming together, whether it's the actors increasing their acumen, whatever it is. This is the first of many good hand-to-hand -hand fights. Yeah, some of the stuff that goes on in that uh, dual throwdown in the throne room a little later, really worth noting. Uh, but Georgiou notes that she's going to kill Lorca um, himself this time. And we get uh, Saru on the Discovery with an acting captain's log, stardate 1834.2. En route to the Terran flagship, the spore drive is now operational. And a great shot there, uh, upside down at first, of Stamets into their ruined mycelial crop um, that his Terran counterpart uh, is continuing to destroy now that he is back where he belongs. Since my connection to CBS All Access was working better this week. I took the opportunity around this portion of the mycelial, mycelial crop has not been saved. And actually, I ran it back because I said, I must have misseen or misheard because, and the no-no was not All Access. That's the good news. Um, I know in the prior episode, we saw wilted mycelial, mycelial crop. And Pete, I know that we've been with these mycelium for 10 episodes now to my to my feeble eyes pete you know in the star trek world i'm an engineer i'm not a scientist to my eyes the crop shown while the voiceover says the crop has not been saved the crop looked okay to me so slight thumbs down there i this should have been really wilted branches and things of that sort and instead it was it was just a little unclear they were a different color in in fairness we don't know what happens i mean star trek has always done a great job of getting the science almost mostly right um yeah and there's times you need to bend it for story purposes cuz you're telling a story first it's not you know a a slavish scientific setup and they were definitely a different color so who's to say and you know they have done a great job of uh consulting with the real uh astro paul stamets 
so who's to say that's what really happens to uh, mycelium? Very fair point. And, and certainly whatever my visual confusion might have been, you get the line, the crop is no good. So at least that's, you know, that's been said and been said clearly. The story moves to the bridge where uh, Arium has flagged a massive power source at the center of the Charon, uh, which, you know, Pete, last episode, we had some discussion about that. And I think we, we were unanimous in saying they don't explain that. But the show has had a habit of sometimes not explaining the things that don't need explaining until they do. Here we do. We get that it is a mycelium cluster. But Pete, it's using a non-sustainable connection to the mycelial network, pulling power from it. Can you believe those Terrans using that non-sustainable source? (laughs) They think that they'll be able to fix it later on. You know, uh, drill, baby, drill. Right. They're poisoning the network here, um, and it's generating far more energy than Stamets even thought possible. It's how they're able to run their city-sized ship and destroy an entire planet like they did Aram Notes back on Harlack. Uh, But this egotistical nature of the Terrans, Matt, you know, the ones who in a little bit tell us how they're going to make the Empire glorious again. Hashtag mega. Um, yeah, really do believe, have convinced themselves that they'll be able to do this when our heroes know without a solution, they are going to see life across the multiverse cease to exist if this orb is not stopped. Sometimes Star Trek is well served to go slightly metaphorical, you know, it takes half the episode Uh, the classic Shark episode to go, wait a minute, half black, half white faces, but they're different on different sides. They're talking about America in the 1960s and race relations. Or Simon Tarsi's one quarter Romulan, not one quarter Vulcan. Oh, we're talking about, you know, I think in the episode, the drumhead, some of the uh, hysteria is a bit more obvious, but they're well served here to go for the save the whales motif of hey everybody we are going to give you 30 seconds of can you please stop the greenhouse gases and the combustible engines when you are increasingly having uh, having alternatives to that you know before you ruin everything and we can't get to the star trek times it's funny um i've been monitoring quite a few discussions on facebook amongst the various star trek and and star trek discovery groups yes there are different ones and there are many and i'm a member of many of them and i think star trek is doing a great idea when you have in the same thread um people asking well where's the social commentary uh, to Star Trek and people aren't picking it up. And then there are other people saying, wait, what do you mean you're not picking it up in Star Trek Discovery? It's hitting you across the face. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, here it's it's not heavy handed because it's a message we still need to hear. Um, but yeah, whether it's that or, 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 you know, not every episode needs to be the lesson about life at home. No Star Trek does that. Occasionally it's a good yarn or occasionally it's more more deeply seated or it's referenced in the back in in the background of things. And I have not felt like, I mean, look, to be honest with, with, with all due respect to all of the movies, whether it's JJ, whether it's next generation, whether it's the classic Trek movies, you know, not all of them are, not all of them are save the whales. Not all of them are let's find peace with the Klingon Russians. 
you know, there's some that's just a good old fashioned space adventure. Sometimes uh, you got to go find space God in your first and your fifth movie. <laughs> um, exactly. So, I mean, to me, not that I have many complaints about Discovery, but I have not felt like, oh man, all we're doing is run and gun space cowboy and none of it is talk about the world we live in. For as action-oriented an episode as this, and there were some really action-packed scenes, to get enough of this world we're currently living in metaphor, I think, is prescient and necessary. Cut to the Charon, its medical bay interior. Uh, or I guess it's technically the research bay, but it's where uh, it's where uh, Stamets had been uh, had been knocked out for a while. Lorca talks of get ready for it, Pete. Alien races in our backyard. The need for a leader who will preserve the human race. Uh, Lorca gives an offer to everyone on the ship: renounce Georgiou, protect Michael Burnham, my pillow talk pal, and we can make the Empire glorious again, Pete. Kudos to Ted Sullivan, who wrote this episode, mm -hmm. and to the production as a whole for simply going there. This is only the second show I'm that I watch, and I dare say that most of us watch, that has been so on the nose. The first was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last season. Now yeah. we've done it again, and thank you for going there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there are others that have broached this as well. Um, but this is the language of the day and Star Trek has always been successful in communicating its point that way. They determine that Lorca is in the main labs with his message and Georgiou tells her immediate lords and followers that he is not in control of the ship. They all hail the emperor there as we go to an act break. We come back from the act break with Georgiou in a hallway uh, and, and uh, her whole terribly awesome crew is powering their weapons. Uh, Awokashan, who I want to mention, Pete, when Awokashan appeared in, uh, in an earlier scene. Look, I understand it's the same actress and they've just changed the makeup slightly to kind of that, you know, cat eye uh, Cleopatra-esque flair to, to it. I don't really know my makeup terms. Um, Awokashan is awesome here in the Mirror Universe. Just wanted to get that in because we're about to lose her here. Uh, she's barely survived the firefight. She's been spared to share a message that Lorca was here. Boom, she's gone. R.I.P. Uh, Mirror Awokashan. Hello, Pippa, says Lorca there before firing. And, of course, she's got a force field in front of her. Uh, and cannons, Matt. How, how about a discussion about cannon? <laughs> This is this is not Gene's cannon. This is yeah. Um, of course, of course, this ship has hidden cannons that only the Emperor has access to. Um, it's just you know there, there's a certain ridiculousness at being where they're at. So you get to be kind of gleefully evil here mm -hmm. by being in you know the most evil place in their universe and and the antithesis of. You know, meanwhile, at wide open Starfleet Command, where people kind of stand around the, the the glass pool table and discuss things, you know, of course this is the way it is there. Um, and and her her cannons take out many of Lorca's followers, but not Lorca and Landry, Pete, because they're like named in the credits and the guest star stuff. Um, they ultimately take those cannons down and they start firing on that uh, that protective field. 
Yes, from 30 all the way down to no percent, Matt, and a flash grenade in there uh, before Georgiou emergency transports. Uh, Stamets didn't warn, that's mirror Stamets, of course, uh, Lorca that that could happen, but he's able, of course, to disable it and stave off his execution a little longer. Uh, they move to establish a perimeter around the throne room before we have Burnham in a Jeffrey's tube, Matt, even in the mirror universe, they still have them, uh, attempting to contact the discovery complete with the classic, not able to connect yet noises of the original series. I think the sound design for this show in general, um, Obviously, they're they're pulling from a lot of the classic Trek sounds. I think that what they've decided to do was not hit you over the head with it. So the volume in the mix tends to be down a bit because they don't want to say, "Look, look, it's that it's that sound. Did you get it? Now, now right. sample it and make sure that it's the same frequency as in uh, the episode, uh, the Turnabout Intruder." Like they're just, <laughs> they're just saying, everybody, we're just we're using some sound effects. They sound kind of familiar. It'll be okay. Um, and indeed, Pete, this attempt to hail the discovery, it is okay. After a few tries, Burnham has stick with itness. Saru is there and he's able to see her, my friend, how far we've come from, you know, from the, uh, the, the coldness that he showed her all the way back in episode 103. Yes. And, um, laying it out here, the captain is one of the Terrans. He has used them. It was his plan all along. <gasps> But, but wait, Saru would have sensed something, which I think is a dangling thread we need to talk about a little later on. His threat ganglia never peaked around um, uh, Mirror Lorca, uh, the only Lorca we've known all along. Um, and uh, Stamets chimes in that this is why they didn't get to Starbase 46, because Lorca, as the, the many people out there who, who screen grabbed and, and we noted as well, he changed the coordinates. He had gotten everything he needed from the 133 jumps they did around the Klingon ship. And now he had the data he needed to get back there. He put it in his chair and now he's here to complete his coup. And Burnham wants them to abort their trip to the palace. Um, and uh, Saru is not considering leaving her behind. I know this revelation um, about the the jumps and the faulty coordinates and all that. That's not new to, to us as conjecture or as largely confirmed in other spots. I know it's new to the crew of the Discovery. I just want to point out that if you go back to some of those early episodes, particularly when Lorca is told by um, by uh, Admiral Cornwell uh, that essentially that you know Discovery is grounded from jumps and this and that the other, he is he's desperate to get back out there jumping. And yes, it's jumping in the service of all these great missions that he's doing, but an evolving portion of our discussion has been trying to decode and understand how the writing room works and these earlier episodes absolutely stand up to you know this idea yeah not just a rewatch but the idea that Lorca was trying to catalog a certain number of jumps so that he could make the the, the last jump home and this was not a sudden flip decision they did not in episode 11 decide we're gonna make him the bad guy and no one will see it coming they knew from day one 
when they introduced him that he would be from the mirror universe. So props for the vision that they've had and sticking to it. Maybe some of those delays in production actually made the show better, Pete, when we were all saying, oh, <gasps> they're taking what? Star Trek away. Yeah. Well, did you note that the nine months later they appeared in their universe, Matt? I couldn't help but wonder if if maybe that was a little bit of a of a nudge back to the real world with the delay. Was that was that the length the, ultimately the length of delay? I don't think it was exactly nine months. Okay, I mean, okay. remember we were, well, yeah, they were, they were initially talking January of, of 2017. Yeah. Uh, so yes, actually it was a nine month delay. So there you go. Maybe, maybe, you know, and, that yeah, is had the two major, imitating yeah. life or maybe it's just what is a human gestational term? Nine months. <laughs> okay. There we go. Uh, have it any way you like it. It, it lines up to the real world bottom line though back to this episode we get that info swap we we have everyone on discovery understanding that there's a super drain on the mycelial network and it'll kill all life unless the discovery fires torpedoes on the karen you know the thing has to have a tailpipe but they just need to get the shield down around the reactor on this this city-sized moon planet ship thing yes the containment field leave that to burnham uh, they're going to stay at warp so they can't be boarded. She will signal when she is ready and they will blow it up and into the throne room bodies everywhere. Uh, Lorca monologuing destiny, a, a very big subject of this episode. Um, and he takes the sword there. Nothing has happened by accident. He is living proof of that. And this trap door that opens over the mycelial super reactor sun orb. Uh, Game of Thrones has its moon door, Matt, but uh, Star Trek Discovery has a sun slider. <laughs> um, it, it is floated that, that uh, well, first of all, that it's Stamets' time to exit. By the way, this is all said while Lorca holds the sword of power, this mm -hmm. He-Man. Um <laughs> And he said it's time for, for Stamets to exit. And then there's this idea that he's going to throw Stamets out the, the moon door to the mycelial core. It's so poetic. But he hates poetry and Landry vaporizes him. Also, Pete, that means that it's Chekhov's moon door to the mycelial core, out of which Lorca later on will die. So he might hate poetry, but poetry or don't hate him. did he die? Anyway, uh, yeah. With that, uh, we have the ship-to-ship -ship, uh, transmission that Landry tracks down here, and Lorca knows this is his Burnham before we end that act. We come back from the act break with Lorca sending out uh, a broadcast to multiple decks. He thinks he's pretty sure that she's on deck three. Uh, he stresses that he's not hunting her. He admits lying, but he wants her to stay here, stay in this universe, away from a place where, 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 where species and opinions are treated equally, where every living uh, being is happier. He says that the here, every living being is happier, having a place dictated to them help bring strength and order to this place. And this is all intercut with Landry searching for Burnham. There's the uh, the visual clue of fiber optic thing pulled from mm -hmm. underneath the big screen. Uh, but I don't think that's going to result in Burnham's capture, Pete. 
It's not. And one other dig that he threw at the Federation that it's a failed social experiment or or that it's doomed to failure. And what she did at the Battle of the Binaries, that's why she should stay with him and help him bring peace. Uh, but of course, Landry tracks it down and he's not she's not there. Um and we're left to look for her. She's got to be here someplace, Matt. Yeah. Burnham has disabled the carrier feed and could be anywhere, says a, a really kind of plaintive Landry. Uh, we cut to Georgiou's sanctuary where Burnham finds her, uh, despite Georgiou having a bracelet that masks her life signs. I would have liked maybe a little extra explanation as to how this Burnham knew where Georgiou's sanctuary was, but whatever it happens they, on screen. they were there once before were they in her sanctuary yes before? yes okay. they were to look at the um to look at the orb well then i do stand corrected there you go questioned and uh, question answered after being asked burnham talks of forging her own destiny and georgiou talks of having lost a daughter and an empire and burnham retorts she has lost a captain and a life all of this pete demonstrated visually by use of the battle and badges yeah, and that she's not Burnham is not going to let Georgiou die again, which she found out here that, wait a minute, so I died over there. Um, and the the plan is to disable the orb uh, and its containment unit. That way they can uh, go about destroying it. But of course, Matt, those controls are in the throne room. What? They're not there anymore, Pete. Uh, the story moves to the discovery, and Stamets notes a problem. The the packed spores of the mycelial uh, orb have created a hypergravitational situation, along with some wavering magnetic fields. It'll all have to be overloaded somehow. Wait a minute, maybe with their spore supply, how much of it, Pete? All of it needs to go. And a great job here in this scene set in Discovery's engineering of involving not just our main characters and acting Captain Saru and Stamets and Tilly, but Aram and Awokashan and Reese and Bryce, all of these players here that all figure equally into the plan and Matt, a, a rainbow coalition that gets it done almost like the thesis to the antithesis that's preached by Lorca. If we ever get back to something normal for discovery I, I i don't know that we've ever actually <laughs> been to normal we've never had yeah we're gonna go on a mission and a thing and it's and and that's fine because so much of the 700 plus hours of star trek has been like that but yeah like we're we're salivating for a regular episode at this point <laughs> i i mean i i i will say simply i think that's what we're gonna get in two weeks time um for the last one, we're going to get a, a, a one-off, hey, the, this is... I think the yeah. end of the last one <laughs> becomes the fourth or fifth pilot episode of the season, which ends with, and now we're receiving our new orders from Starfleet Command. Our five-year mission is to begin, to go out there, and, you know, Command Captain Saru says, you know, Lieutenant Commander Burnham, take us out there. Um, and we go, ah, the adventure begins, just like it began in... And this is all, all 
complete credit. I love how the show has continued. The, the show has reinvented itself so many times in the 13 yeah. episodes, but just as we got the first episode in the first episode and kind of the discovery pilot in the third episode, and we got the standalone, hey, let me show you what discovery is in the sixth episode or seventh, whatever the madness to make the sanest man go mad or whatever that one, I think it was the seventh. Um, but I think that's where we're headed. But Pete, we are not there yet. Uh, where are we? We're at Saru's speech here, Matt, and he notes how it's well known that his species can sense the coming of death, but he does not sense it today. He feels that this is a team he can trust, the finest. Lorca abused their idealism, but he wants to be clear, discovery is no longer Lorca's. He considers this their maiden voyage. They have a duty and will not accept a no-win scenario. He which, said the thing. He said the thing, which several officers said after this. Uh, and with a hearty eye captain, they all get to work before we're back with Landry informing us about the execution of all of Georgiou's lords and senior officers. Indeed, we are back in the throne, the throne room, and Lorca is so happy with his sense of victory. Um, there's even better news, though, Pete. Landry has a message. She's here. In comes Georgiou at Burnham's gunpoint. Uh, Burnham says that she won't let another crew die on her watch. She certainly appears ready to help Lorca execute the Emperor. Um, but, but Lorca notes, so Georgiou is here. What are you really bargaining with? And uh, Burnham offers herself. Burnham will stay if the Discovery is allowed to leave. Uh, there is some fine print. Lorca gets Burnham's mind. Nothing more. Uh, and, and Lorca accepts and notes that uh, Burnham's betray Philippa's in every universe. Yeah, destined to kill you here before that act breaks, Matt. And we're back on the Discovery with Tilly figuring out the problem. Yes, uh, she has figured out that indeed there may be a way out of this no-win scenario. Um, the reactor explosion uh, will be a release of mycelial energy and a mycelial shock wave will then be produced. Perhaps it can be ridden to take them home, but it'll, it'll overcome the shields. Well, what if they run their warp drive, the warp bubble acting as a second shield? Pete, this got my engineer's heart pitter-pattering here. <laughs> you know, Jordy would be so proud if he was alive at this point in the show. Um, Stamets has been inspired by Tilly and there's this, there's this hope that we may go home after all. And this was the first moment that I said, Oh my goodness, Pete, they're going to wrap it up and they're going to give us two episodes of like normal Star Trek next week and the week after. Well, we'll just have to see about that. But I'm complaining. Uh, I'm not saying this is abnormal and bad. Yeah. Hashtag not jeans track. I'm just saying like, it's been so different that, to return to, you know, the mission of the week type of model will will seem like a special event. And I, I think they did something really unique with that. Um, but the, the techno babble explains here that uh, they've modified the spore drive or they can that will run concurrently with the warp drive. It'll give them a second layer of protection um, and that they can uh modify the engineering coordinates or reverse engineer the coordinates to know how to get back to their universe that Lorca got them there with. 
at the same point in the timeline, Matt. So now we've brought that up and we had to figure, okay, they're going to play around with that. And I really thought they were going to throw themselves well past when they did, given some of the discussion when Discovery's time frame was officially confirmed. Oh, wait, it's a prequel to the original series. Why aren't they going past the next generation Deep Space Nine Voyager, you know, sequential timeline? I thought we were going there for a couple minutes of this show, and I think that's to its benefit. I, I let's see how the next two episodes go. I would not remove that as an option entirely, although I would say it's probably unlikely for season two. But you know, the star is the limit. Uh, limits. Uh, the story goes back to uh, to the Discovery Bridge, which receives a message from Karen with uh, Burnham's security code. Uh, it's okay to drop out of warp, so they do, and then quickly discover. Oh no, Lorca's sending us the message. Um, and what I thought was a really oddly rewarding moment from Lorca here, who expresses admiration at yeah. his formidable soldiers, the soldiers he has created. He would happily use their skills if they could give up their cult-like devotion to the Federation. Um, obviously a compliment, you know, wrapped in, 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 uh, a snarl, but I, I like it nonetheless that he really is proud of the, he's proud that he turned these scientists into soldiers in a time of war. Yeah, it's, it seems, and he says he's sincere about it. Um, if, if he thought they would relinquish their cult, like devotion to the Federation, he'd allow it to happen. Uh, but Saru is steely and great here. He's not interested in Lorca's sentiments, where is specialist Burnham? And he's uh, not allowed immediately to see her. He says that Lorca is not a reliable source. Fake news, Matt. <laughs> Fake news before she's finally glimpsed in the background on the screen. She confirms it with a nod. And Saru says that was all he needed. So he nods. Other people on the bridge nod to each other saying, yes, yes, yes. And then Burnham seems to nod Perhaps I'm now giving a little extra flourish here in my recap, but Burnham then seems to nod to Georgiou, who then finally starts the whole thing going. Georgiou knocks down a guard, Burnham knocks down a guard, and uh, it's it's fighting time, particularly as the disco fires on the, uh, the the Imperial Palace ship, wrecking the phone the throne room to a large degree. Yeah, and then it gets down to individual matchups here. We've got uh, Burnham and Georgiou, uh, Lorca and uh, Georgiou eventually square off while Burnham and Landry go at it. Uh, some great kicks, Matt, in particular. I, I don't know if it was with the use of a stunt woman. We know that um, Michelle Yao, uh, Lorca, as um, Landry and Burnham are fighting, takes a sword to the back of Landry, uh, seemingly just not caring she's in the way or maybe trying to defend Burnham or maybe a little bit of both. Um there's a, a knife thrown by uh, Georgiou into the back of Lorca, who throws it back at her, and she blocks it with another kick before they wind up on the throne there fighting literally over it. 
uh, Burnham and Lorca finally square down before there's some discussion. Yes, Pete. He tells her to stop. He does not want to kill her. In fact, he says that he won't kill her. And Pete, showing all the stability of some White Houses of late, there's no, there's no trust. There's no loyalty. There's fire and there's fury as Burnham flips and jukes and jives. She gets a phaser on him. And, uh, and she notes that Starfleet would have helped him get home if he had just asked, that's Starfleet. She's not going to kill him. He doesn't want to kill her. Pete, we found peace in our time. No, we haven't, because <laughs> right behind her is Georgiou, who runs him through with the sword of the Terran Empire. And the door opens, and he's pushed through Matt. And because it has its own gravity field, he's allowed to be sucked in there. Where it appears he dematerializes Matt, but we're going to have to chew that over for sure uh, in our theory segment. Oh, man, I am flabbergasted at the thought, Pete. Uh, bottom line, though, is with Lorca at least uh, down for the count in this episode, Georgiou says that it was a good plan, that of Burnham, and uh, she allows Burnham to take down the orb shielding. I will admit there was a split moment of, well, why would she allow that? Uh, and we're about to get that answer in a moment. Uh, we do, of course, intercut, find out that the Discovery can't get a lock on Burnham. So why is Georgiou allowing the orb shielding to be taken down and all of that? Uh, she is a defeated emperor and she just simply can't find her way back to leadership. Um, but she tells Michael Burnham to find a way back and to live Pete. Yeah. They've seen her neck here. She's prepared to go down in a, in a blaze of glory, dying on her feet. And as the shootout commences here, uh, they pick her up on the discovery. They beam her over and Burnham runs and grabs Georgiou there, bringing her over in the transport pattern as well before they go to black alert. Stamets wait, wait, Pete, hold on. You're telling me that she, she grabs Burnham much the way she wanted to in, in, I don't remember which part of the, I guess it was the second part of the, uh, the, the opening night. Uh, introduction to Discovery. She wanted to grab Georgiou's body back on the Klingon ship and was pulled too soon. Yeah. Here she's not pulled too soon and takes Georgiou's living body. Pete, this has all been written wonderfully. It has been. And Stamets is in the reaction cube there. Landry, back wound, still alive, is locking weapons there before Saru is commanding Detmer to bring them through. They fly through a couple times the, uh, the gigantic gap there of the Charon uh, before they fire, hit the warp engines, and Tilly talks them through here. The ambient mycelial energy is interacting with the drive. Levels are good. They engage the spore drive, and we get the crazy kind of wormhole-looking effects, Matt, and I was like, all right, next next stop, the 29th century with the Enterprise 11-teen. <laughs> um, it, there definitely was some, some uh, visual language, uh, I don't want to say copying, but kind of uh, echoing some of that wormhole stuff that we've seen, whether it's Star Trek the motion picture, some of the Deep Space Nine stuff. Um, the presentation, though, here, it continues to be different. Y they don't 
I don't think there's dialogue to outright confirm this, but it becomes clear visually that they are flying through the network in a way that we have not seen in the past. Uh, Stamets says that the network is indeed fixing, but uh, but, but the, the, the routes are bifurcating too quickly. Can he navigate home? He can't find a way. Then he gets reminders of Culber's voice. The network is a gift. Follow the music. Open your eyes. Good news, Pete. He sees a clearing in the forest, and they loop back to, they kind of hold the, the moment there to somewhere stable as everyone exhales but no one knows what's going on and the last of their spores it seems floating around engineering this little tinkling crane one that winds up on uh the shoulder of tilly before it's gone and uh they're rebooting the system trying to find out where they are matt dot 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 and when <gasps> With Burnham and Georgiou still in the transporter room, Georgiou wants to know, what have you done to me? Um, but Stamets is explaining to acting Captain Saru that the celestial patterns and subatomic analysis confirm they are in their alpha quadrant, which elicits a sigh like Matt just did, although a little bit more clicky from Saru. <laughs> uh, but they overshot by nine months and Bryce gets to work as he's commanded there informing Starfleet that they have returned. Reese is tasked with bringing up the tactical map. There's no response from the Federation, Matt, to their not even an automated signal. And on screen, updated in real time, the war map is decidedly Klingon because they have won the war. And Pete, before we proceed, we want to thank everyone who has helped us win the war against the costs of running the podcast. Thank you to everyone who's gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek to help us with those storage and bandwidth costs oh when will the star trek times come where everything can be free and synthesized but until then thank you one and all thank you dear crew whether you are at the ensign tilly level or at the mirror universe evil Sarek level where we send you a goatee everybody gets uh exclusive podcast content so head over to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash fantastic geek today well we have a threat analysis coming in hot and fast pete where are we going to begin let's begin with Lorca here matt finally able to drop the subterfuge and be the horrible terran being he is yeah it uh, amidst all the other um amidst all the other the story bits and bobs we've had with mirror landry and real landry and mirror burnham who we never met and whatnot it kind of takes moments in this episode to just really hammer home a point that was made clear but a point that needed to be made clear which is uh which is that that we have never known the real Lorca, the you know Lorca prime and um it, it's he is so gleeful here and and there's almost a newfound respect for him that he put himself through all of this just out of that desire to become emperor um that's both that's both scary and sad and inspiring all at the same time 
It is. And the way that he holds Burnham as somebody that he's groomed in two universes and that he sees that this one with what she's wrought in her own universe and how that could be used. And, and of course, he's manipulating her. He doesn't see her as a tool for peace, but one of subjugation for anybody else that would stand against them. Um, again, just able to finally let his hair down and, and be who he is instead of pretending to be this warrior called upon in the Federation's darkest hour to, to bring the hurt to the Klingons. It, it does bring an interesting, uh, if not small, uh, point of discussion to say, you, you know, in this darkest hour where we needed, we needed a warrior, the, the best warrior in Starfleet was the guy who was actually from the warrior times and not somebody who's from the, the hope and peace and optimism of Starfleet. I don't know whether that's, that's an optimistic note or a pessimistic note, or maybe just a realistic one that sometimes you really do need bad people, even in a good, a good environment. But, um, I'm glad that he's gone, question mark. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Landry, even if it's just for an extra episode to get Rika Sharma back, still great to see her and to see her kick some butt. Yeah, I think that she she was gone too soon in uh, in the beginning. And I think that in in retrospect a i mean i don't know how far out they had planned this season i dare say they had a good sense i mean well i mean we know from said Tullivan, uh, said Tullivan, <laughs> that's his mirror name ted sullivan a couple weeks ago that they planned to, to do mirror stuff so i'm sure at the time it was hey get you for a couple a couple episodes here and one later on wink wink don't ask any questions um but it only strengthens the fact that she was gone too soon in in those early episodes that we get to get her back here yeah, and I like the note you picked up earlier about the uh, agonizer booth that she's been in there for some time and any thought that these Lorca loyalists might somehow just be happy to have him back and, and kind of tuck tail and, and, and regroup, he's able to rather quickly pull them uh, in line and you know, we're, we're going to finish this. We're going to do the dastardly thing. And Burnham is the key to that. Pete, let's talk Georgiou who definitely represents a big threat, but is, is almost an anti-hero in, in terms of her actions towards the end. Uh, certainly there, I can feel the good in her, I think. <laughs> and, and that's just why I put her on this list. She's clearly upset about being brought back into our universe. So could that make somebody who has been an empress, the, the most feared warrior in the most feared universe, somebody who could be up to no good the same way Lorca came over in the past? I, I think you've got to consider it. You know, we had some we had some discussion online in the last week over the the rehabilitation or not of Tyler. Uh, some people voting for, you know, handsome Tyler is now back full time and everything's fixed, which seems a bit indelicate from a writer point of view. I think same here. If we are somehow we're going to get sweet, you know, sweet Mama Georgiou back, I don't see that happening. This 
Georgiou, Mira Georgiou, is somebody who has been made made this way over the decades of her life in the Mirror Universe. Certainly, she has no standing in in our Starfleet. I mean, I know that right now there is no Starfleet in in where the Discovery is at, but I don't see a particularly happy ending for her. Maybe even just one of, uh, you know, maybe she will find the good in sacrifice in the next two episodes. I don't know. We're just going to have to find out. Next up, Pete, we have some theories on the long-range sensors. You have teased that perhaps Lorca is not gone, but Pete, I saw him get all all obliterated by the mycelial orb and its magnetic and gravitational waves. What do you mean? Come on. We know that you can be inside of this network. Two Stamitzes have been in there. So what's one Lorca? I think that's a good point. And the only retort that I have is I will fight story with story. There needs to be... Because I got a retort for that, but go ahead and bring it. (laughs) (laughs) Just that I I think that there needs to be an end to... um, There needs to be an end to this phase of this Star Trek story. And we've had Lorca being the bridge from chapter one to chapter two... Uh, obviously we have still have some business with the Klingon war not yet concluded and we'll, we'll discuss theories on how that gets addressed, uh, in a little bit, but I kind of feel like just from a storytelling point of view, this needs to be the end of Lorca. Then you spend the next episode and a half getting your way back nine months ago. So you can finally upload the, this, the, that, the other, I guess not the, this, the, that, so you can finally upload the, uh, fix to the cloaking, uh, you know, the cloaking device and, and the workaround for that end of the war, and then finally be able to end this season with, and the season ends, period. Uh, except for, you know, the little spore Groot that's in uh, Tilly's shoulder. But that's a different story. Well, the great thing about sending him off the way they did is it's not definitive. And Matt, I, I'm, I've been watching, re-watching a lot of Voyager lately. Uh, they could kiss him. They could send him off here and, you know, three seasons down the road, come across the mycelial network again when they need to dig into that tech another time and boom, have to, you know, have Lorca again as a threat for an episode or a two partner to bring um, the great Jason Isaacs back. So I, I think they're wise to not make it definitive. I will take your response as mostly agreeing with me that he's done for he's done for now and it's not going to be and he comes back next episode or the episode after that with you know a gleeful look in his face and a, a knife in his mouth and it's pirate Lorca I, I, I think <laughs> pirate we Lorca. Could, hey pirate Lorca could be pretty awesome he's got like a space eye patch and whatnot Pete let's let's now go to a little theory because I know we have some big ones involving you know the end of the Federation and the Klingons taking over everything the littlest green uh spore that landed on Tilly's shoulder unlike any spore we've ever seen before here's my question to you is that a story seed for next week the episode after that or the first episode of season two those are your options those are my only options. Those I was going to say, you know, it, it didn't turn her into some different character or something else going on there. Can I can I take an, a, a non-presented option and say it was just a visual way to help us understand this stuff is all gone 
and one landed on her. Then why'd they make it green, Pete? All the other ones are this bluish white, you know. What's next? Purple lightsabers? I mean, I'm telling you, that was, <laughs> listen, I'm not often right. And I've been going back to, and, and listening to our earlier podcasts, and, and there's, a lot, there's a lot of stuff that we are right about. You tend to be the most right, um, including moments before we recorded the podcast for episode 104, and you told me Vak is Tyler, and then you went to go get a drink, and I fully processed that and realized what you were saying. Um, you know, you usually hit the nail on the head, but I'm telling you that green spore is going to come back some way, somehow. Well, that's the beauty of people being able to go back and check out our stuff. How about Saru, Matt? Never uh, feeling threatened by Lorca. Are his threat ganglia uh, deceivable? Um, it is an interesting line. And I think that if nothing else, if that was just a way to get out of a story corner, you know, if they had, if, if somebody said, but guys, how are we going to explain this? Maybe the explanation is, wow, Lorca was good. He never set off my threat ganglia. Um, Pete, if you asked me that question five episodes ago under different circumstances, I would say, you know, well, we're still getting to know this writing staff. Uh, I think at this point, we're not getting to know this writing staff little details oh fine I, i'm prepared to be wrong about tilly and the the little thing if that was just the last little snowflake to give us you know a goodbye this to me is is a large enough issue where it either needs to be explored uh after the fact in a little bit more detail like when they're doing that brief that debrief go oh man Lorca was Lorca was so duplicitous uh, but so determined to win the war that I, that's why I didn't like, we need either confirmation post game or this is leading to another thread. Um, I think it's going to be more the former instead of the latter, but, uh, but time will tell and goodness knows we have precious time left. Pete, I will now pose finally the Klingon question to you. Um, there are Klingons on these ships. <laughs> There, there are Klingons on some ships, and now Klingons are running the entire Alpha Quadrant. Um, I guess here, here's the question. Do we spend the next two episodes wrapping that up, probably concluding with some sort of you know, alternate present to the show uh, with you know, not quite Mirror, but here we are. We're going to see Happy Laurel, and we're going to see Vok kicking around and you know, whatever to cope with returns. Um, then finally they're able to go back in time and solve it all with what the way I'm describing it might be a slightly less than satisfying uh, ending just because it'll be. And then it was all a dream because we spore jumped back in time, um, which I guess is my way of saying, A, surely they're not going to do that because that seems to be the obvious thing that they just go back in time like many other Star Treks. There's got to be a different story solution, right? I don't know. I mean, this has been so unpredictable that they jump forward and that the Klingons just continued to press the advantage. And without the discovery, obviously, they had the upper hand. I really don't know how they can resolve this in two episodes. And are we going to string this Klingon war out to the second season, which I did not foresee with the developments of this season that happening? I just don't know, Matt. 
Here's my theory on that topic. I think that maybe that was their goal when they had 13 episodes. And I think that, look, me as a fan who have who has absolutely wholeheartedly loved 12 out of the 13 episodes and liked the other one, uh, the one on Pavo, merely liked, uh, the way my brother described it, it was a solid Next Generation episode. Where it's like, yeah, they kind of go to a planet and they do a thing and they discover some stuff about themselves. And in the end, they learn if you all work together, it'll all be okay. And you tack on a, and they're coming conclusion, you know? Yeah, it's a solid, it's a solid, you know, B plus episode. Uh, I have, which is to say, I have no, I have no problem with this show at all, not in the slightest. But if you're going to sell me two weeks from tonight and the Klingon war is just beginning, I'm going to feel like, okay, I have Klingon war fatigue. It's now 15 episodes of Klingon war. Yeah, with the mirror stuff in the middle, but we knew the war was still going on back home. I think they need to wrap this puppy up in the next two episodes and really end with, again, whether it's, and the Captain Saru ship heads out, the new the new journey continues, or whether it's some other, you know, oh man, now the Romulans, whatever it is to propel us to next season, we have to end this season this season. Given the way they've chosen to go about this season, and it's been bold, and it's been new, and it's been, you know, while we have predicted the, the Valk Tyler thing, and um, the mirror universe, you go back to, uh, you know, our recording of that and, and listen to us throw that out as an idea, sticking the landing here with what they've chosen to do. I think they've upped the difficulty of, so I'm really interested to see what kind of narrative solutions they come up with. I'll just again hammer home if the plan originally was do more Klingon more next season and this was the this was the season one finale, uh, which by the way, that would fit with what we had heard from Ted Sullivan a couple weeks ago in terms of um, episode eight being the finale, then episode nine came back so great and yeah. they simply moved the date. They did not move the plotting of the season. Um I'm imagining that some debate went on internally. Hey, you know what? Fine. Isn't it? Is it an extra option to to do two more two more episodes? Well, Netflix paid for the first thirteen, so it's going to cost CBS merely the cost of two more episodes, and they've paid for none so far. Sure, we'll do two more episodes um, to kind of. I'm just imagining someone must have said, "Guys, we can't do Klingon War for forever. Let's wrap it up in two awesome action-packed episodes, and then then get on from there." But if as I you may, say, we'll see. Broach the Klingons one more time, Matt. Where were Vok and Laurel in this episode? I know you had a lot of Terran intrigue to deal with, but they they completely sat this one out. Uh, you have to imagine that with the Klingons now having the upper hand, there was some stuff in the previews Matt doesn't ever watch. Um, there are previews? There are. Here's how my episodes end. They go <laughs> dramatic handoff and the closed captions go, closed captioning brought to you by CBS and WGBH in Boston or whatever. And then it fades to black. And then I really quick push the button to make sure right. well, I don't have really my world Well, if you really don't ruined. click the, the button quick, like, you know, a ninny, you, you get a little uh, hint of, of what's to come. And, you know, some, some characters we haven't seen in quite a while returning. 
I'm not. Listen, Pete, I've developed the ability to get mild spoiler stuff and just have it slide out of my brain. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, it's called there was Alzheimer's. Like, there was that spray you could put on your shoes so, like, nothing liquid would ever sit on it, it would just plop right off. I've already forgotten that you said there's even an episode next week. In fact, Pete, as far as I know, <laughs> there is no episode next week because we're going to see two teams that nobody wants to root for play in the Super Bowl. And uh, then, yeah. Um, but I digress. Pete, do you have any more of your theories? I don't. Then let's move to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, we ran a poll on Twitter at the conclusion of this episode. What did you think of tonight's explosive Star Trek discovery? The four choices, four stars, oh, captains, three stars, commanding episode, two stars, Landry frowny, frowny face, and then one star, mirror me. And Pete, 10% of the voters gave it one star, and I was cranky pete i said yeah. seriously anyone who voted a two or one i'd love to hear your salient thoughts in this episode because i doubt you actually watched it guess how many responses i got to that pete none none because were, there are yeah. some bitter bills out there who uh don't watch it because it's not gene's trek well guess what uh gene is not only at the heart of this trek, it's the soul of everything he started. So take your poor attitude and stuff it in the airlock. And look, all due love to the great bird of the galaxy. Let's not forget uh, Gene Roddenberry was largely not a part of season three of Classic Trek. Uh, he was shown the door creatively after the motion picture and then had you know little, if anything, to do with the remaining five Classic Trek movies. Uh, he had a big amount of control in the first season of Next Generation that waned as that season went on, and uh, by the second season, did not have much of a role in that. So guess what? Most Trek is not Gene's Trek. Uh, you know, that's just how that goes. And if that's what you're beating, then and all access is too expensive. Uh, let me go back to my curated, uh, you know, <laughs> action figure collection, and and you know, it's like, come on, this is look. I know what I'm doing with my all access subscription that is going to run out on May, uh, pardon me, on March 7th until then, whatever, it's all good. Um, but Pete, let's get, let's get back to this here. The, the real people, 77% gave it, uh, four stars and 10% gave it three stars. I'm not even counting that last 10%. So everybody's going to get an extra 10% there. And bottom line is Pete, there was some, some great voting there, as well as some great comments. Uh, we had one from at Verse Trek that said, uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek, I think, it's like my wish has come true. Star Trek Sliders engages on Sundays <laughs> on a streaming service near you. Uh, we had a tweet from Robert MacDougall that's at MacDoug1. I just thought, holy S, what if the Mirror Universe has Khan? Well, I guess they all have their analogs, at least yes. if the writers want them to. Uh, our pal Bob Keeley said, I thought it was outstanding, edge of the seat for the entire time, and the kicker at the end was the icing on the cake. Excellent episode. Uh, we also heard from Craig, that's at geek underscore in underscore fedora. Geek in fedora, Pete. I mean, come on, that's a great Twitter name. <laughs> um, he said, I just asked my other half this. Where the hell is the ISS Discovery? Were they in the Prime Universe for that nine-month period? Amazing episode, by the way. Pete, your thoughts. How about this? At this end of the nine-month period, where is the ISS Discovery? 
um, they went back. I think we're going to find that they were uh, tied together. Um, so when the one came over via the spore drum, the other one was sucked back. And, and that's just the explanation, unless they're going to get more creative than that. I, I don't think so. I mean, do, do we have another discovery piloted by Terrans in this universe? We're still dealing with the mirror threat. Is that a way for mirror Georgiou to return home? Perhaps. Mm. Cause that's, that's the thread I see dangling that, that, you, you know, you're not going to bring her back and have her be motherly positive Georgiou all of a sudden, just cause she's in the, the prime, you know, Starfleet universe. Uh, so perhaps that's her way back and, and she gets to captain a, a discovery, but then she's going back to a horrible universe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's, it's know. horrible to us. It's great. It's home to it's her. It's home to them. You're right. You're a hundred percent right. When I first saw Craig's tweet, I had just assumed, well, they've been destroyed like the rest of Starfleet or, you know, Terran fleet or whatever. Oh, I guess they're still called Starfleet. You understand my point. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I think, Pete, you're on to something that if we're going to get some sort of redemption for, for Mira Georgiou, it could be on the ISS Discovery. It's just a lot of story to pack into two episodes. You know, we kind of wagged our finger a little bit at the length of last week's episode, this one at 42 minutes, um, including uh, the the previously on, the lengthy previously on and the um, title sequence, perhaps even the credits, I don't recall uh, that because, you know, I turn away before any credits can, can be shown in any previews. But let me, put, let me put it this way, Pete. Would I be okay if the next two episodes were both 65-minute episodes? Yeah. And if it's not, give me the best episode, the best edit that you can, particularly this episode where I was literally out of breath at the end. But We got to uh, slow down a little bit on – and it's fair point to note run times – but these are not normal run times for other shows that don't deal with an effects budget that this show does. And it's not as if they're chimping out on uh, effect shots. They are giving you the full Monty and this is film quality stuff. So if there's a 37 minute one in the mix that winds up, you know, uh, not seeming long enough, just remember that if this was on TV, and I know some of us are paying for these with commercials, we have the the non-commercial uh, subscription. You're not dealing with that. You're you're still getting your money's worth. Well, I think that probably captures the sentiments of our last tweeter, uh, M Dooley. That's at art underscore M Dooley seventy eight, who says, "I was holding my breath too many times to count." This episode <laughs> has some of the best scenes in any Star Trek ever. Wow. Incredible is an understatement. Wow, uh, it's certainly high praise. Uh, if only Matt, uh, CBS All Access, and it's digital service and and the public relations powers that be had a way of convincing people to sign up for this uh, other than being really dismissive. Yeah, and I think we don't want to say too much at this point, but certainly dismissive describes uh, how how they have viewed some, some fans, how they have interacted with us, uh, 
how they have made promises outright and not followed through at all. Uh, there really is the feeling that uh, that that we as fans are, are are the little annoying flies getting in the way of things. Uh, and, and if that's our case, I can only imagine what what uh, dogs bigger than us and dogs smaller than us might be feeling as well. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that we have been podcasting about this show for more than a year before it debuted and we're fishing a barrel, Matt, we're going to be doing this regardless, but you all who are listening, you are the ones who determine the success or failure of this show. And I, I don't mean our show. I mean of Star Trek Discovery. And if you're not paying for it, let me put it to you even more bluntly. We have listeners to our other podcasts who are enormous Star Trek fans who don't watch Discovery. Yeah. And and that coupled with uh, a rather scathing, if not unfair, uh, view of CBS All Access as printed on the New York Times website this weekend, you know, there's there still is a bit of a PR issue. Now, yes, the show, of course, is successful. Netflix made that possible. Uh, yes, All Access subscriptions are up. Um, that's just a that's just a given. Um, yes, passwords are being shared and word is getting out about Star Trek Discovery. That's what all the online services, you know, that, that's the plan for the first couple of years, if not more than that, uh, for, for online services. I mean, heck, my wife and I share our Netflix account with, uh, with my sister-in-law. Um, and, and Netflix has only, you know, uh, uh, tightened that a little bit recently, but, yeah, there's Pete. There's there's bad juju in the force. If I can make another <laughs> reference in the stars, and, and it's some of fixable it is just that, though. Yeah, it's very easily fixable, and I think you do that with goodwill. Um, you you don't do this by uh, erecting walls and and keeping people out. It's the message of the show. It's the message of our universe. And you don't you don't get there by exerting your muscle and by making asks and then not and and making promises and not following through on the promises but making sure that the asks are the the asks are gotten from the little people like us but pete hope springs eternal maybe this is all the mirror universe and we're going to flip back and things will be things will be good in the future in our shared future our star trek future our real real future and uh, and wherever the two might converge absolutely well, Pete, we've heard from a lot of great people, and uh, how can people be in touch with you? Let's start on, oh, I don't know, the Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R 9,776 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. We are Fantastic Geek. You can visit fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. To those listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back on Friday, still in space, but a different space. Uh, actually, still in a different future, Pete. What? Two shows in space, in alternate futures. What? 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are agents in space. How will it all end? Well, they're coming up on a mid-season break as well. It's weird how it's all converging. If you're listening to us on the Discovery feed, we'll be back next Monday, uh, a week from tomorrow, to talk more Star Trek Discovery. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Just kidding. I hate poetry. Poetry.